my privilege to bring the Bible reading this morning. We're looking at Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Just as you open your Bibles, a quick announcement, there's been a black phone left on the sanitizer table. So if that's yours and you need it to access your Bible, you might want to go and grab it. Okay, Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 1 to 7. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Go near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools who do not know what they do wrong. Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven and you are on earth, so let your words be few. A dream comes when there are many cares and many words mark the speech of a fool. When you make a vow to God, do not delay to fulfill it. He has no pleasure in fools. Fulfill your vow. It is better not to make a vow than to make one and not fulfill it. Do not let your mouth lead you into sin. And do not protest to the temple messenger. My vow was a mistake. Why should God be angry at what you say and destroy the work of your hands? Much dreaming and many words are meaningless. Therefore, fear God. Amen. Amen, Judy. Thank you so much for that. Uh, let me add my welcome to you all. It is great to be in God's house and worshipping him this morning. I hope that is true for you. Welcome to those of you online as well. Again, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, it's great that we still have this technology where we can't actually have everyone here in the auditorium, but we can still be worshipping God wherever we are. Well, as is obviously the case, um, we're continuing in Ecclesiastes. And Pastor Darrell actually gave me chapters 5 and 6 uh, to cover in this morning's message. So it may be a bit of a surprise to him that um, I've cheated. And in fact, I'm only covering the first seven verses. I figure he's so gifted and talented, he'll be able to cram the rest into whatever messages he's going to do from here forward. So uh, not my problem after today. Hey, we'll just leave it with him. But as we approach um, chapter five, you'd have to be just going through the motions and not paying a lot of attention to see that as we read the beginning of this chapter, there's this fundamental shift, there's this change in the attitude of the preacher uh, in this case. In these first four chapters, he's been confined confining himself to his observations of life under the sun and as Pastor Darrell explained in the previous weeks, life under the sun is that life that is lived without consideration towards God, without allowing him any influence or reign or rule in your life and it's looking at all the world has to offer and seeking those things in order to gain uh, pleasure and fulfilment and passion and satisfaction but he goes on to say how that is futile it is all worthless, there is no value in it, it becomes totally unfulfilling. And we know this is the case for the preacher because he has pursued these things, he has sought them himself and he did find them worthless and unfulfilling. To this point, to chapter 5, as he's spoken about God, he certainly mentioned that he's omnipotent, which is just a fancy word for being all-powerful. But he hasn't spoken about a personal relationship with God. He's portrayed God as this all-powerful being who ordains all things, but you can do nothing about that. So God is seen um, to this point as quite impersonal. Uh, is, he's just a fact. He's a being who is there and you just have to accept that and whatever happens, happens because God is in control of it. He acknowledged that God was responsible for the times and the seasons, but God still seems distant and he doesn't appear to look favourably upon men in the interpretation prior to chapter 5. And the preacher also saw God as a judge. And he says that 
There's wicked men in the place of judgment. Those who should be judging righteously are actually judging wickedly and evilly. And he believed that ultimately God would judge both the righteous and the wicked. But again, he portrays this as happening way down the track. God's distant. He's not involved in the things of man. But in our reading today, that all changes. The preacher seems to consider all that he has said and then he asks the question, then how should we live? And he speaks for the first time about the relationship that can be experienced between God and man. It isn't a superficial relationship. It isn't this distant. There's this interaction he speaks of. It's a two-way thing where man can speak to God and God can speak to man. Man can know God's will, voice and purpose. I'm just going to pray and ask God to open our ears and eyes to what he has to say. Father God, I want to thank you for your presence with us this morning. I want to thank you, Lord, that we come to worship you. And I thank you that when we have right heart, right attitude, you meet us, Lord. And this morning, Lord, my desire is that we hear your voice, that we respond to you, that we ask each and every one of us, for you to teach us, to guide us, to reveal to us anything which is relevant to us in the message this morning. And give us that willingness to change, Lord, to submit fully to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So as the preacher begins chapter 5, remember that prior to this, he's been speaking about the vanity of man without God. Now he addresses the attitude and actions of men as they turn towards God. To me, it seems the preacher is concerned with that vanity still, the corruption of people's hearts as they come to the temple. So he has a series of commands, beginning with, draw near to listen. This thing loves me. All right, draw near to listen. When we refer to God... When God is mentioned, I wonder what comes to mind for you. When you think about coming to church, what's in your mind? That's something that you have to ask and examine yourself. And and when we refer to God, when when we read about people in the Bible who've had an encounter with God, it's like there's not enough words, there's not enough language to do justice to who God is. He is the Almighty God. He is the Great I Am. He's the immovable rock. He is all powerful. He is all knowing. He is all present. He is all good. He was and is and is to come. He is the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. He is the first and the last. When He speaks, the very foundations of the earth tremble. And I haven't even begun to describe who God is. He is God. And there are no words that can possibly describe his majesty, power, and how we should be awestruck every time we come into his presence. And the preacher is concerned for those who approach God. And he says, guard your steps. And what he's saying here in saying guard your steps is like consider your heart, examine yourselves. Why are you approaching God? What is it for? And this morning as you come into church, as you sit in this place this morning, you need to ask why am I here? 
is the call to ensure that a worshipper comes with pure motives. God must be the focal point. And when people come to worship God, the whole point is to take their eyes off themselves. Stop looking around and comparing yourself to others. Stop pointing out fault in others and just come before God. Don't be concerned about who you may meet or what you may need to say or what needs to be said because that is not the right reason for coming here. You come to worship God. It's Him and His Word which should make everything else fade into insignificance. And we worship to hear from God. It's about ensuring our declaration. Think about that. The vast majority of you are sitting here because you have declared Jesus Christ not only as Lord but also as Saviour. If you've declared him as Lord, you're saying, Lord, it's no longer about me. Everything in my life is gone. It's all about you. I want to praise, honour, glory glorify you, worship you, not just on Sunday, but with all of my life. And if you're coming into this place with that, it should be your declaration. It should be reflected in your heart and attitude. The first and most important command, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Is that true for you? It should be manifested in how we come and worship God here on Sunday. And I've got to tell you, I'm delighted. I remember the first 8.30 service I came to this church. I was sitting in the second row, which would be right where that white dot is these days. And I finished the service. I was only visiting. I wasn't pastor at that stage. And I was like, why aren't the people singing? 200-odd people sitting in this auditorium. And all I could hear were the guys on stage. And you know this morning, I don't even think we've got 80 people here. And we've got the guys at home. Can't hear you at home, I'm sorry. We've got 80 people here. And I could hear you guys, even though I had these other people in my ears. What an incredible blessing that you've come to that point where your worship in song has lifted to the Lord to such a degree. That's something to thank God for. That's a bit of an aside too, I'm sorry. But the thing is, so many have the appearance of true worship And yet there's nothing happening between them and God. If the hands are raised, the eyes are closed, the tears flowing, if all that is done and there's nothing happening in your heart, it's vanity. It's vanity in worship where you want to be seen to be in touch with God, to be doing the right things when the reality is you are not. It's hypocritical. And we don't like saying things like that in the church. But that's the reality of where we are. And you're so far out of touch that there's no way you can really appreciate what happens when someone comes in and truly worships God. And to be part of God's people, it involves obedience to him. And when we submit and humble ourselves before him, There's growing faith and unity. And again, you shouldn't be pointing at others and saying, well, that's not happening. Your focus should be upon you and God and obeying what he calls you to do, worshipping him with all your life. And in your life, there should be growing faith and unity. You should have this passion and desire to honour him. Even if someone hurts you, Lord, it's about you, it's not about them. I want to honour you, I want to glorify you. And if each and every one of us do this, 
There will be growing unity. And praise God, again, I believe we're seeing that. Little spots all around the place where people are getting together, they're honouring, glorifying God. And it's a wonderful thing to see. And I pray it becomes an avalanche that changes us. But there's this disconnect. And I want to say, if you're in that spot where, where you're not connecting in true worship, where you're not growing in faith and unity, then it's damaging to you and your relationship with God. That's a given. But it's damaging to you and your relationship with the church. And it damages the church. What we need to understand is that the preacher has spoken about all these vain things in chapters 1 to 4, how they're worthless. And now he's saying, if you approach God with the wrong motives, if you come in and just go through the motions, if you want to be seen as someone who worships God, and it's not right, it's worthless. It's vanity. It's chasing after the wind. And we're to examine our hearts, our motives in worship, and we're to draw near to listen. That's what it says. Again, think about who it is that we worship. If we were to believe just half the attributes that are given of God in Scripture, if we even catch a glimpse of His glory, then surely we'll be silenced. Think about all those guys who encountered God. Isaiah, a guy who I think is just awesome. And he encountered God and he just fell face first. Woe is me. John on the Isle of Patmos, a vision of God vision of Jesus and and this is someone who he spent time with someone whom he loved and he sees the glorified Christ woe is me this is the God we're talking of he is way beyond our comprehension and we think we can tell God what he should do we project things onto God and tell him what is best for me. He knit me together in my mother's womb. He knows my days from beginning to end. He knows every thought. He knows every temptation. He knows every little nuance about me. As crazy as it is, this dude knows my freckles, how many I have. I can't even comprehend that. And for him, it's nothing. What can I possibly tell him? What can I possibly say that he doesn't already know? We draw near to listen. You may have a different word to listen in your translation as you read through there. And and what is lost here is that the word really means to hear and obey. So when you read listen in this passage of Scripture, it is to hear and obey. I think a lot of your translations will actually say hear as well. But true worship is not just about listening. And we've said this again and again and again. It's not about listening to God. It's about putting into action that which he says. We have so many people who come along to these services who say that God has challenged them, God has encountered them, or they've encountered God, and he's called them to change, but they forget. And so often in Scripture, we're told to remember, and I think this is one of those cases where we should be making notes in services. We should be making notes as we read Scripture because when God challenges us, we should make a note and keep going back to that so we can ensure that we're putting in place those things which mean that we will do what God has challenged us to do. The preacher is warning his readers and he's warning us. Our lives are lives that should be submitted fully to God in total obedience to him and his word. You don't pick out the bits you like. It's all of his word. And you need to submit and obey to it, obey it. 
Think about this next bit. It's better to hear and obey than to offer the sacrifice of fools. For they do not know that what they do is evil. What is the sacrifice of fools? These are those who faithfully make the required offerings and sacrifices for their sins, but it's all for an outward show. They do what is required, but there's no inward transformation. They're going through the motions. They're not truly living for God. God always required inward transformation. Old Testament and New Testament, it's never been any different. His way of salvation has always been the same. And these people are people who sin without thought. What they do has become so much a part of their life, so much a part of who they are, they actually don't think that it's wrong. They don't think that it is sin. They're willing to perform the rituals and the requirements of worship. They're willing to go through the motions, but they don't repent. They don't confess. They don't make that conscious daily decision to submit to God and his will. I want you to think about the story in Luke 18, verses 9 to 14. And Jesus tells the story of a Pharisee and a tax collector. I think most of us would know that story. And so the Pharisee stands in a place where he will be seen and in all his pomp and ceremony, he makes loud declarations about his holiness, how great he is, how he isn't like other sinners. And then there's this, other guy comes in he's a tax collector he stays off to the side in the shadows he can't lift his eyes to God he stands in the very presence of God and he utters the words God be merciful to me a sinner one with those two went home justified If you can't work out who it is, please contact me. One offered loud declarations of how good they were. They were in the public eye. People could see them. People could hear them. He wanted them to know how holy, how righteous, how right he was. And the other, in seeing who God was, knew that his very best amounted to nothing in the presence of a mighty God. One went home justified. And it's a sad truth that many just go through the motions. They want to be seen in church, they want to be seen as doing the right thing, but their hearts are cold. There's nothing happening between them and God. And even if there is, they're ignoring it, they're suppressing it, they're putting it down. And the way to please God in worship is to approach, to listen, to hear and obey, to hear from him, take what he tells us, apply it to our lives and live in obedience to him. And at the very heart of true worship is the acknowledgement that God is God. That may sound trite, but that's the heart of worship. God is God. Doesn't matter the situation, doesn't matter the circumstances, doesn't matter who you are, what class, how wealthy, 
if you can acknowledge God is God, you've got it right. The preacher moves on and he says, be slow to speak. He's been very clear. Be quick to hear and obey all God says. But then he says, don't be rash with your mouth. Don't be hasty to utter a word before God. Why is that? It's because he is in heaven. He is so far above, beyond, and outside of our understanding. He is holy above all else. He's clothed in unapproachable light. He has 24 elders there who cast their crowns down before him. There's 10,000 times 10,000 angels. There's people crying out constantly, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. He's always right. Always. He's always just. Always. And he will judge the living and the dead. It doesn't matter what you think. He's going to judge us all. His very nature demands that he is worthy of being listened to. And where do we, the dust of the earth, come from? What right do we think we have? Be careful. Listen to him. Be slow to speak. And I don't want you to mishear me. God delights in hearing our prayers. God delights in hearing our praises. It's not be silent at all times. But be careful what you say. Be careful how you enter into God's presence. If we understand who it is we go to, our speech to him will be correct. It will be right. I want you to think about um, that guy called Job, a man I related to um, once. He was a righteous man. And so much came upon him. He lost everything. He lost family. He lost all his wealth. He lost his camels and his donkeys. I don't know how I'd cope without my car. But he lost his children and his house, everything. And he was a righteous man. And, and as the story progresses, Job actually gets a little bit ticked off with God. I think I would have too. In fact, I have. And, and as Job gets ticked off with God, he judges God. And he calls God to account. He takes God to task and he says, God, I have been righteous. I have done everything. What you have done to me is wrong. Lord, tell me why I'm going through all this suffering. It's not right. And I don't know about you. But do, do you remember the answer that God gives him? God says, dress for action like a man, Job. Get on your feet. I'll question you. And you make it known to me. And so here's Job standing before the mighty God. And God is going to question him. And what follows is this revelation of God's power and he says Job where were you when this happened what did you do when this happened where were you during this time and Job is left repenting he admits he's spoken of things that were too wonderful for him things he could not fully understand and again when he's in the presence the glory the majesty of God Everything that happened to him becomes insignificant. God is almighty. God is all-powerful. God is righteous and just and true. 
And the preacher's warning us, don't be like that. Don't presume to know God and his ways more than you do. Only a fool would speak in such a way. And then he says, for a dream comes with much busyness and a fool's voice with many words. This is an interesting little, voice, uh, little verse here. There's another one where the original meaning is a little bit lost. And what it's basically saying is, a man who's got many cares, a man who's got many pressures, things that are weighing in upon him, here it says busyness, is a man who has dreams, he has troubled sleep. And so this guy has great cares and he has these troubled dreams and it's not, obviously not pleasant ones. And on top of that, it, it says, a fool is easy to spot. He's the one that's running off at the mouth. He's the one who wants to be heard. He's the one who puffs himself up with a lot of words. And they're words that are spoken without due consideration. I think one of the things that we're seeing more and more are people's assessment of God and how he should respond out of our experiences. It's... One of those things where many people have said, I love my son and I love my daughter and it doesn't matter that they're doing this because I love them and surely when I stand before God in his presence, he's going to love me and everything's going to be okay because that's how I feel about my children and so that must be how God feels about us. Where do you get that from? It's not in scripture. It's heresy. It's got nothing to do with God. There is one truth there, God does love us. And I think this is the other twist we have more and more these days. We acquaint love and grace with tolerance. And they can't go hand in hand. And we find ourselves in this position where even if that son or daughter does something that's obviously counter to God and his word, we quickly form that habit of saying God will forgive them. Again, it's not scriptural. If they don't repent, if they don't turn from their ways, how can God possibly forgive them? Be very careful. And then he moves on and says, be a man or a woman of your word. And he now covers this. This is actually a very common habit in the Old Testament uh, where people would come and they would make a vow. And we need to realise that this originates from man. There's nothing in Scripture that says that man should actually make a vow like these vows. And God never called man to do this. And in fact, in Deuteronomy 23:22, it says, if you refrain from making a vow, you will not be guilty of sin. Clear indication that God isn't uh, the one who directed this. But in Ecclesiastes here it says, When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than you should vow and not pay. And as I said, it was quite common for men to come to the temple and they may pray something like, Lord, my daughter is unwell. If you were to heal my daughter, Lord, for this year, I will give you 30% of my harvest. I will do that, Lord, if only you will heal my daughter. And it's this bargaining with God, which again is something that uh, doesn't really bring God pleasure. It's not what he wants. But he says, if you do make those vows, if you do make those declarations, then you must honour them. You must be a man of your word. And as is often the case, uh, we find that people actually make this vow and they say, God, if you will do this, I will give you that 30%. And then the daughter's healed and it's like, well, 
do I really have to give that 30%? And as, as this verse says, you know, um, when they come, you should be willing to pay. And I think one of the stories in Scripture which really emphasised into these vows or declarations is the story of Ananias and Sapphira in Acts 5, uh, 1 to 11. And they both, on separate occasions, make a declaration to the disciples that they've sold their land for X amount of dollars and they've brought the whole lot to lay at the disciples' feet to be used for their work and purposes in spreading the gospel message. And Paul says, in one case, you've lied to the Holy Spirit. In the next case, he says, you have lied to God. And they both drop dead on the spot. I believe that's how serious God takes vows. If you're going to make vows, you need to fulfil them. The lesson for us then is don't make vows, but if you do, you must honour them. Let not your mouth lead you into sin and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? And the preacher is addressing this temptation to say, well, now my daughter's here. Well, I don't actually really need to pay it that much, do I? Surely God is gracious. And the preacher says, don't, don't say it was an error. Don't say it was a mistake. When they come to collect what you have vowed, don't say it was a sin of ignorance. You didn't have to make that vow. No one said you should. But now you have. You need to honour it. It isn't a sin of ignorance to open your mouth and let foolish talk come out. If you're of that habit, learn to shut your mouth. Don't make those foolish vows. Don't make those foolish declarations. And if it's that's difficult for you, have someone along who will tell you to shut your mouth. My wife at times is very good at squeezing my elbow when we're somewhere and she thinks I'm overstating something or shouldn't be saying what I'm saying and I know then to shut my mouth because it's not going to be pretty later if I don't. And I'm fine with that. She's a blessing to me. Elaine is my handbrake. I run off at the mouth, I run off at a lot of things and God has given me this handbrake who pulls me up and stops me going where angels fear to tread. And Ananias and Sapphira suffered an instant death as a result. But what it may be for the other is that God's going to be provoked to anger against you for making these false vows. And the work of your hands will be destroyed. All you do will be in vain. There'll be no purpose for it. When dreams increase and words grow many, there's vanity. But God is the one you must fear. And the preacher concludes with this summary, the dreams and many words are a reflection of the empty vows, worship and prayers. And he says, this is vain, but the activity that is beneficial is to fear God. What he's doing is laying before us the two choices. You can choose the path of outward spirituality, appearing to be all you should be, or you can adopt the attitude which brings life, a change from the inside out. Deuteronomy 6.24 says, And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he may preserve us alive as we are this day. Proverbs 10.27 says, The fear of the Lord prolongs life, but the years of the wicked will be short. Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. And there's many, many more verses that cover the same thing. The fearing 
of God is something that the preacher will return to as he closes Ecclesiastes. This is the second last verse in Ecclesiastes. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. This is the whole duty of man. And at the heart of this is a call to true worship, to put aside all the vain things which we have seen from today's message, and it includes empty worship, worship that is done with the wrong motives and heart. God wants us to be a people who worship in spirit and truth. I'm totally convinced that God is bringing change to us here at SDBC. I'm greatly encouraged by those who've done the Master Life course and who are speaking of how encouraging and strengthening and building it is for them. It's not an easy course. There are obligations you have to do. But as people do this, they're seeing God released in their own lives. They're seeing him move. And that is what we want. God wants a people who will worship in spirit and truth. And I believe he's doing that here. He's changing hearts. Messages like today's are reminders. You've heard it all before. Nothing has changed. They're meant to call you back to truth. They're meant to have you each and every day examine your lives afresh before God. I want to ask you, will you do something for yourself right now? I want you to think about when you pulled up in the car park in church this morning, what were you thinking about as you approached this front door? And as you walked in the door, what were your expectations? What was the attitude that you had? What did you want? I'm hoping the vast majority stepped over that threshold with a hard attitude. I want to hear from you, Lord. I'm here for you. This is about you, God. The sad truth is many have other agendas. This is a call back to the truth. Why do you come here? Of course, we also sing. We hear a reading from the Word and a few other things. But these are responses to God. If you come with that attitude that you want to hear from God, your praise and worship in song is going to change. Your engagement with the prayers that are given are going to change. And believe it or not, as the announcements are given, your engagement with that should change because the announcements are all about things that are happening in the body of the church that are drawing people to God. I don't know who was at the meeting last night for the ladies' ministry, but I know many of those ladies attempt to bring non-Christian women to those events so that they can hear about God. I know that they're trying to build into the community so they can draw people to the kingdom. That is what we're about as a people of God. Our desire should be to hear from God, to put into place the things that he teaches us so lives are transformed from out of here. This is not our front line. If you think about how many non-Christian people we encounter in this place, it's very minimal. When you go back to your communities, to your neighbourhoods, to your workplaces, to your universities, that is the front line. That is where we get to worship God the most. It isn't just about Sunday. Your life should be one of worship. And your desire should be to hear from God every moment of every day. When you get up in the morning, do you engage with God so your day is ensured to have Him as the focus, first and foremost? If you're not, can I encourage you to get up a bit earlier? Spend some time with God, praying, reading His Word, claiming the promises that He will reveal to you. Because He does it. 
I can testify to it myself. If you've got difficulties or problems in your life, make a list out. Put it beside your Bible. Don't search the Bible for those things. Keep praying about them. And as you read your word, God will reveal answers to you. And again, there are things you write down and you say, God, thank you so much for this. I claim this for myself today. I want to honour and glorify you all throughout my day, Lord. Let my life be a life of worship to you. Do we genuinely seek God? Do we want to hear from him? Do we desire that he was speaking to our lives, encouraging, guiding, rebuking if necessary? I know many of you live that way, praise God, I love talking with you because you're just overflowing with the goodness of God, you're overflowing with all that he's done in your life and it spurs me on to greater work and it's so encouraging, it's incredibly blessing. Keep it up, plug into that, don't ever let it go. But some of us, we're just going through the motions, aren't we? I can't change that for you. I can only speak what God gives me to say. And for some of you, you're sitting here this morning and you know those around you think you've got it all together. But you know there hasn't been that inner transformation. You know it's just an act. My role, I see this as a very small part of my role. My role is to encourage and build up and strengthen people in the faith. It's one of the reasons why Elena and I are running three groups at the moment. Because we believe that's where the work happens. And we're so delighted with how people are engaging with God's word. And we're so delighted that they're challenging us to actually do more and more so they can engage with their communities. That's where we need to be. That's where the work, real work is. And Pastor Darrell and myself, we're here to encourage, to build up and strengthen you in the faith. And as many of you who've come forward and confessed terrible sins and you've never received the word of judgment from me, I rejoice with you and the angels in heaven that God has placed that on your heart and that you needed to confess that. And that I've walked alongside those people for however long it's taken so that they're established in the faith, so that they can overcome any sin that they need to so that they can follow God in purity and worship him in truth. Let's just pray. Father God, I thank you for the power of your word. I thank you that you challenge me. And Lord, I just pray for everyone who has heard my voice this morning, those in the auditorium, those online, Lord, that you'll challenge them, that they will hear your voice this morning, Lord that they'll be willing to do whatever it takes to draw closer to you this morning. Father, there's some who have work to do with you. I pray that you'll give them the guts, the fortitude to come forward and to be prayed for, to confess that which they need to, but then to move on to a life in victory with you. For each and every one of us, Lord, I pray that you help us to worship you, not just here on Sunday, but with our whole lives, all throughout the week. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.